I have come here to Krakowie, and I'm all out of bubble. Really licked his ass. Are you watching closely? Welcome to Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week the movie we watched at midnight was Luke Besson's The Fifth Element. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you, and don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. So, Luke, where are we? Ah, Nash, where do I even start? Uh, we got Corbin Dallas, possibly the greatest name ever came up with in the history of fiction. <laughs> Uh, Corbin Dallas is a lonely cab driver living in a colorful and odd future about 300 years from the year 1914. Very specific, I know, but trust me. One day while driving his taxi cab, fate literally falls right into his lap in the form of the perfect being. Don't worry, we'll try to explain, but, uh... Essentially, he now finds himself wrapped up in a billion-year-old struggle that leaves the fate of the entire universe in the balance. Dallas must navigate through this colorful and dangerous future in which failure means the destruction of the entire universe. From what you ask? A giant literal ball of pure evil. But it's cool. I promise it's cool. Yeah, no, I think it's cool. But trailer for this movie before we actually get into it. Um. We did watch the actual trailer, I think. I wasn't sure, because the IMDb stuff only had the DVD one. So we had to go through YouTube a lot, and I think it was the right one. So it could be wrong. But, assuming that it was the right one, it's probably one of the most unique trailers I've ever seen. Because there is absolutely zero dialogue in it. Really? And there are a few title cards... And it just scrolls through the ever-increasing jumps to different cuts of the movie. Um, I felt it was weird because I didn't think, like, the music really matched what was going on. <laughs> like, the music seemed kind of out of place, like, maybe a little too slow or something. But I think we should give him props for doing something new because that's just more memorable, you know? You're going to probably want to go see the movie with that trailer that you remember. At least it's going to be on your mind. Unique trailer for a unique movie, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, this movie was written by uh, two people. Story was by Luc Besson. Um, and ironically enough, last week we had a whole thing about Robert Mark Kamen uh, writing, like, all the Karate Kid movies and the Transporter movies and, like, that Lethal Weapon movie and all that stuff. Turns out from my research, unless I am mistaken, which I hope I am not, uh, Luke Vesson has worked with uh, Robert Mark Kamen on a lot of different stuff together throughout Hollywood. Like, I saw his name on um, Leon the Professional. Um, I saw his name on the movie Lucy that came out a little while ago. And then I also saw his name on, like, Transporter 3. And some of the things that um, it looked like Robert Mark Kamen worked on, um, which is like a, a action in Hollywood, I guess. And I think it's uh, pretty interesting that Robert Mark Kamen also has something to do with Fifth Element. Uh, guy's a pretty good track record, and Luke Besson is clearly a really talented guy as well. Yeah, I was definitely really into this movie. I think this movie for him was probably, probably one of, if not his most favorite things to do, just because 
I've read that he had been writing this movie since he was 16 and it was finally he made it when he was 38. So like it's a huge chunk of time in his life went into this movie. So, you know, I bet he treats it like his baby. So interesting, colorful baby. <laughs> it's a weird baby don't get me wrong it's a weird it's baby, baby with a lot of blue aliens and orange hair and a lot of stuff going on in this baby but it's a cool baby it's a cool baby so who all is in this baby <laughs> uh we got bruce willis playing <laughs> corbin dallas uh we got gary oldman playing zorg my god gary oldman dude you know i never <laughs> really appreciated him until i saw him just destroy the screen bro and i mean let's 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 have a quick question though what do you like better the bram stoker haircut or the zorg haircut you know what i think the bram stoker one is oh, i love it <laughs> <laughs> but this one's hard to beat that one's yeah. hard to beat <laughs> zorg's pretty fire too and then uh we got we got mila jovovich jovovich playing lilo the fifth element herself then we have ian holm playing obi-wan kenobi that can't be right um anyway and then we got chris tucker playing uh ruby rod very famous character and then we got uh tom lister jr playing uh the president and brian james playing general monroe who is a hilarious character possibly one of the funniest in the whole movie okay so i was just thinking about this a second ago tom lister jr i was trying to remember where i had seen him before I'm about 90% certain he's the inmate on the Dark Knight that throws the detonator out of the out of the boat. That's exactly who he is, yeah. Okay, cool. I felt good about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the Theme. Now, in the words of the director, uh, this isn't a big theme movie. So, take that for what you want. I mean, clearly, love ends up being a big part of it i'd say but for this review we're probably going to be just a bit more scattered because i don't think you're supposed to look that deep into it i'm interested to talk about it man i really am i am too because there definitely is a lot to talk about but luke you imbecile before we start doing that <laughs> are we giving this movie a thumbs up or down you're gonna be a thumbs up thumbs up i gotta give it a thumbs up too i love the fifth element yeah. and now this Alright, so let's talk about the title. <laughs> they say it about 50 times in the movie. Uh, <laughs> we had to roll credits, like, a lot in this movie, dude. Yeah. A lot of rolling credits. A lot of times, and I guess it's playing on that trope, you know, because we all know, like, the four basic elements. Water, wind, earth, and fire. So, there's another one. And wait to find out what it is. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never guess. Hey, well, dude, you know, bro, I will start off by saying I've never seen this movie in its entirety. I feel like every time I've ever heard or seen of the fifth element in my entire life, it was 2.30 in the afternoon on daytime television, and I missed the first hour, so I had absolutely no context for what was going on. And now that I've seen the movie, I know that all the context is literally in the first 20 minutes. You missed the first 20 minutes? No idea what's going on at all. You really are lost. You're up in the air on that one. No, but I, I have to agree. I think this movie is on TV so often, at least when I was growing up, like, I have probably seen this movie six times on TV alone yeah. and uh, having like 
I'd watched it the full version before, but watching it under this, I loved it even more. And that's, I I feel like watching it now made me like it even more. I feel that, man. So how about we start in the beginning of the movie? Because that definitely feels different than when Bruce Willis shows up. Like, I almost feel like the beginning of the movie is almost a bit of a, like, a prequel in a way. And then the movie really starts with Bruce Willis. Um, How did you feel about that? Because what I was kind of thinking about today when I was gathering my thoughts was that the plot of this movie um, moved pretty straight forward. And I thought it was interesting that the first 20 minutes is all the stuff with the robot aliens in the... um, in the, in the pyramid and stuff, and I loved it. I thought it was awesome, but I thought it was interesting that it wasn't a mystery around who the fifth element was, or it wasn't, like, kind of uncovering what the ancient things were. It was, like, kind of a giant spaceship in the desert right away with these weird aliens, and it sets the tone for the whole thing. How do you feel about the beginning of the movie, bro? Yeah, I think that's probably going to make or break a lot of people when watching it, especially if you haven't seen it before. Because for me, those first 20 minutes, I think, decide how much of this are you going to accept? Because everything you see is pretty, like, very easy to accept. It's in the past, you know, it's kind of things that you'd all believe. It seems very realistic. And then the aliens actually come and they look really weird. Ridiculous. Goofy. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's on purpose, dude. I mean, bro, dude, the guy gets stuck behind the wall because he's too chunky, man. Yeah. And you're super (laughs) slow. You know, it's like you'd think for this crazy smart species, they'd have a faster way of getting around than like waddling like penguins. (laughs) Especially in the desert. How do they make it? But especially that they're not even like an alien race. They're like the supreme beings who know the entire fate of the universe. (laughs) Yeah, they know everything. And like, you know, they also also run into one spaceship fleet and get totally blown up. (laughs) Yeah, two two guys, they get annihilated. (laughs) Maybe in hindsight, they weren't as badass as we thought. (laughs) No, they're not. They they see. I mean, back then, I guess we're like, oh, these are the coolest things ever. Flash, flash forward to three hundred years, they're like, these guys are idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, their their outfits and how they move is really goofy. So I think right then and there, you've got that bridge between something that's easy to accept. That's from our past or people, the, you know, human history somewhat, you know, it's very believable. And then you're smashing it together with that aliens. Your first sort of indication of sci-fi there. Yeah. So it's like, if you can't accept them in that first 20 minutes, like if you're not, about them you're not going to probably enjoy what's going to come after i'll totally agree with that which i think makes it even more interesting that that was the choice that they went for when they wrote the movie was that they wanted it to be right in your face right away in the first 10 minutes of this crazy egypt scene it's pretty interesting when you think about like like i feel like somebody could have um like not made it simple they could have made it this whole epic thing that was like took them a long time to like put pieces together to uncover but lupus on and arcane were like nah just throw robots in it in the first 10 minutes and it like works dude it really works great yeah because i mean just thinking about it something similar you've seen in sci-fi is like they could have had a bunch of you know lilu looking people come down and yeah. do it but they yeah. didn't like that like that's definitely a big decision mm, you know uh, so sorry to cut you off but they, they could have done like like a zardos type thing where it was just like this weird alpha hierarchy people 
Yeah, no, exactly. And so to make that choice, to make them like this supreme being that seems very blatantly flawed, I think that's pretty important just to the movie going forward because you, you really have to, if you don't accept that, you can't, you're not going to take anything else that you see. You know, th- dude, that's a really great point. And um, I kind of wanted to get into not only Lilu herself, but the omnipotent giant ball of death. Um, yes. It's really interesting to me because it feels like there are just two forces in nature going at each other and there's not that much control around it. But yet the giant ball of death is called Mr. Shadow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Bro? Yeah. So first off, um, to to pre prelude this point, I'd like to say I love this sci-fi and ancient juxtaposition stuff. It was yes. kind of like that in Event Horizon with like, it's the devil, it's Satan. But in this movie, just the fact that it's like this billion year old thing that has to do with like hiding the rocks in Egypt. And also that it's the four elements. I think it grounds the story um, really well and makes everything in the universe feel connected. Um, I lost what I was talking about when I mentioned this prelude. So this was a good example no. of Luke losing his place from rambling. Maybe you can take <laughs> it from here. <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. And you bring up a really good point, especially with Event Horizon. Like this movie, compared to all other sci-fi movies, has a very, very weird sort of pushing, like plot motivation. Yeah. Wherein, like the incredibly vast majority of sci-fi movies the plot mechanic that the protagonist is working against is almost every single time a new type of technology that has gone awry. I mean, you can literally event horizon. It's the, it's the engine, um, space odyssey. It's Hal, uh, the matrix. It's the matrix. That's that's fair enough. Yeah. That's, 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 that's fair. And so you look at this movie and it isn't about that at all. It's about an ancient struggle that seems more like a spiritual thing. That's what that's 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 what I was looking for, dude. It's it's strangely spiritual and grounds it in reality so that even though they throw all those massive robots in you in the first scene, they still kind of hone it back in by having those themes within it. Yeah, and that that's just so crazy because it's like that's kind of like a fantasy type thing. Like a you know, like in magic, it's always whenever magic gets introduced in a movie or a show or whatever, it's always the farther back you go, the more powerful it is. Yeah. And this one is it's very unique how it's like the same thing has literally just been happening. Like For, it's forever. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that to actually like sort of go in depth for that plot because you you never see that anywhere else. Um, w- did did you put any significance behind the fact that it happens every five thousand years? Did, was, do you think there's anything like biblical going on here, or do you think it's more of just kind of like like a five five thousand years is long enough in like sci-fi and history terms? You know, that's a really good question. I'm starting to wonder when recorded history happened because it might have been. That might have been the point in time. Yeah, like he's like the whole whole deep history thing. We we better get like Joe Rogan on this podcast or something. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Dive deep into like theories and hypotheses, but just to, to to bring it back to the story, dude. I think I just think it's it's a really cool stage, and it makes the fifth element feel really unique because, like Nash just said, it's not it the is. typical technology is. is coming to get us. What are you saying? 
It is five thousand years ago. It is five thousand years ago. It's, uh, it's the oldest coherent texts are from about twenty six hundred BC. Interesting. So, so that is recorded history. So uh, yeah, that that you know that's classical sci fi where it's like oh aliens because you know they had to come here the first time to give us that stuff. And it's 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 also just really unique, dude, because it. There's like a mysticism to Mr. Shadow. I can't believe I'm calling the ball of death Mr. Shadow. But yeah. That's what <laughs> and like, d- did you feel like it was? I-, I I have to ask you. Do you feel like because it wasn't so obvious, which is what's really another great thing about this movie? But did you find like balance in the struggle between the fifth element and the giant death ball, or was the death ball kind of just this malicious evil force to you? To me, it feels like a mixture of both, and I just find it kind of odd that Lilu comes into the world almost having no idea what's ever happened, while the ball itself kind of feels more like god than she does and it's kind of like this whole divine energy thing going on bro it's like it's 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 hard yeah. to crack into yeah no it really is because i mean thinking about it just based off like the name thing mr shadow he's got that name because of like the corporatization that uh zorg you know lives behind yeah if you think about it, like, I don't feel like he might just be called the shadow or something, but because he's like the CEO of this weapons company, he has to call it Mr. Shadow because <laughs> he's a client. He's a client of his. Yeah, that that's, was really part of that goofy nature for me that I like just because his character was so like business oriented. Yeah. And it's like literally you're fighting like with an ultimate force of nature. <laughs> Bro, do you want do you want to kind of build off the goofy stuff? Because I feel like that's one, another one of the best parts about this movie is when he stuffs the colonel into the freezer and he pulls it off. Yeah. The dude's like has like icicles coming out of his like nose and stuff, dude. Like, yeah. And he puts Lee. <laughs> in the bed and she's like been like vacuum sealed like yeah no, that, that was that was a uh, obi-wan he put her in the shower and she was like freezing cold um, yeah it's there's so much stuff like that and like chris tucker's character too that i just feel like it really does craft a movie like no other like i've never seen a movie like the fifth element in my entire life i will say though it's my least favorite scene in the whole movie and if anybody's gonna like say this movie is just a cheesy action movie this is probably the best scene to point to. It's when we first get introduced to Shadow, Mr. Shadow, and they shoot the missiles at him, and it explodes in the fireball with a skull. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> that, I feel that. That, that to me. I, like, I see that scene, I'm just like, why? Why, well, why the skull? <laughs> so do you, do you think it has any significance of, like, characterizing the ball of death as, like, death itself dude i know that that's like a bit of a pull but do you see that as just goofy or is it like i don't i don't even know what i'm trying to say you know what i mean like it 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 makes me wonder if we if just the audience if it's didactic didactic diegetic if it's diegetic or not, because it's like, are we the audience the only ones seeing that, or is everybody <laughs> who's in like the spaceship seeing that too? <laughs> Bro, like, they're all they're all bugging in that scene, and then it explodes into like, a giant skull, and they're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> It's like I, I I definitely don't think it was needed. Like it's the thing. this movie's very goofy, so obviously there's a lot of stuff that isn't needed, 
but it's like clearly that thing is representing like ancient you know evil it's darkness it's just malice it's death you know it is the end all so you know clearly that all that imagery you know exists around it but you don't need a giant skull to represent that it definitely comes off as cheesy and goofy dude it definitely does but i mean i i I don't know dude the the ball of death is like such a unique villain bro and it's just the moon too which i don't even know where to place like how how this was one of your favorite movies and we're honestly doing it as a bit of a joke because i just feel like you've brought it up in like at least 40% of our reviews I do. Of the fifth element. So like <laughs> to just to kind of move the conversation forward, can you kind of like give me a rundown of why this movie stuck out as being a great Bruce Willis film, a great sci-fi film, all that stuff. We've kind of touched danced around it the last 20 minutes, but like what's the Nash Moore hypothesis on why he loves the fifth element? I think what does it for me is the characters. Um, they're very unique. Like they're all different. Nobody seems like a cardboard cutout. Yeah. They all, they all seem very different. Even like when you look at the priests, like he, Obi-Wan goes and just gets hammered at the space bar. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like it's not, that's not characteristic of, of what you would think of a priest in a movie, in an action movie like this, you know, you'd expect them to have some sort of, supremacy type deal where they they are better than other people but mm-hmm. no he just seems like a very normal guy he's making mistakes all the time the president doesn't really know what's going on he tries to hold things together you know all these characters zorg <laughs> even as a character is like he's like a, a like a texan gun manufacturer for other species you know like <laughs> All those Dude, characters so seem so unique, and they are so utterly weird. Like the doctor that uh I guess recreates Lilu, that guy's personality is super weird. Yeah, strange, really strange and off-putting. The the general is a bumbling idiot. Hilarious though. Probably my favorite character, Loki, dude. He was cracking yeah. me up everything out of his mouth, bro. And I, I feel like these stereotypical characters that normally in movies you'd, you'd like, you'd expect to see them have, like the general is supposed to be the guy that knows what's going on, but he's yeah. the idiot. The priest is supposed to be the moral background, but he's just kind of there and he still doesn't really know what's going on. He's only heard about yeah. what he's supposed to do. Like all those characters make a goofy and you can't, oh my God, Chris Tucker's character. I mean... That is top hairstyle of all time, dude. And Bruce Willis with the frosted tips, bro. Looks like Justin tips. Timberlake out there, man. Ooh, I, I bring your jacket because it's icy. <laughs> no. I mean that that character, like like Chris Becker's character, is so ridiculous, yet so absolutely hilarious combined with Bruce Willis's. And he comes in at such an odd part of the movie, too. And I I made that joke at the beginning of the review about only seeing this movie from the second half on. And because, like, Chris Tucker doesn't show up for for an hour in, and it's not like he's important to the plot. He's kind of just, like, along for the ride. Um, And kind of with the plot in general with this movie, I feel like it doesn't move um, naturally or it kind of diverts your expectations as to what's going on because I feel like there's never really a super clear mission for what Bruce Willis and um, Lee Lu and the dude are up to. Like you just said, he's not really sure 
Um, the the Obi Wan isn't really sure what the method is to get out of this situation. They don't even really know where the stones are. They kind of have to figure out that it's it's in the Blue Woman, like. And even with Zorg, like, like, like we just said, where it's like a really unique character in a sci-fi movie because he keeps messing up, you know, like the scenes of him looking in the case and seeing no stones are some of the best in the movie. And so I almost feel like at the hour point of this movie, um, the like uninteresting classic way to go down would have it be kind of like more of a quest of Bruce Willis bringing her somewhere so she can save the the universe, which does happen, don't get me wrong, but the way that she gets there is almost kind of, like, stumbling, you know? They barely even get there themselves. Yeah. Like, do you, do you have any comments on, on how the movie progresses that way? No, it definitely has really weird beat shifts. Like, for the majority of time that we see Lilu, um... <clears throat> she's kind of helpless, especially in the like in the when her introduction, when she gets remade or whatever, she has to escape and flee. But then, you know, there's a, a very distinct turning point when she's on when they're on the cruise space ship thing. And she just beats the crap out of every alien guy that's trying to kill her. Uh, I am perfect being. I protect you. Multipass. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. It's it's uh, gosh, I feel like pretending to be that stupid or like just not knowing things is such hard acting to do. It's like, yeah. all right, just be a total idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't don't know anything about what's going on. <laughs> like, I feel like that's so difficult. And it's such an incredible performance. And it's just like that she seems helpless, but we know in that scene that she definitely isn't. And that's that's what I really think it's it makes it so good, too, because even the perfect being isn't just like, yeah, it's over. I'm here. It's not like Dr. Manhattaning the whole set, you know, Yo, facts. And well, dude, even to bring it back to Mr. Shadow, that's what I found interesting about it was that Mr. Shadow was kind of like more of a character who was like narrative driven, I guess, and like that he had a plan to destroy everything in the universe for like his own reasoning, while she was more of a character that was going to be molded by the people around her. You know, you don't, you yeah. know what I'm trying to say? Like, mm-hmm. that's really interesting as, and when you juxtapose the two of them, because you'd think they would be similar, either um, the black ball of death knows what's going on and she knows exactly what to do, or the black ball of death is just this being that goes through the universe and doesn't have too much thought and she is how she is in this movie where she has to kind of learn everything along the way it's interesting that the two sides of the coin aren't really at equal levels when i feel like they would be you you, you know what i mean yeah like that assumed balance really isn't there and even like mr shadow is weird because he has to make corporate phone calls to do his evil plans you know like that's that's just <laughs> so outrageous to movie, think dude. about right is that just so utterly hilarious like oh he's the representation of all evil in the universe and he's making phone calls like, there's know? a lot of phone calls in this movie do you have any thoughts on the significance of like his mom calling all the time or mr shadow calling other than like comedic value i wasn't sure where to place that because it felt like it happened enough where there was some emphasis around it well for me i think it's one of those like uh reinforcement points for his life for what's his name dallas Bruce yeah dallas Willis. dallas corbin <laughs> <laughs> it's for for dallas's life he it's like he doesn't want the life that 
he's in at all and he's looking for something in the beginning that sounds unobtainable he's looking for somebody that's perfect perfect that's fla- yeah that's flawless and f- well of course i mean perfection you know per- the perfect of, being literally the perfect being falls into his cab yeah so i i think that's just to reinforce that point of how much he doesn't want that life and he's really just kind of fed up with it because he's not really good at anything other than killing people and falling in love. Well, let's <laughs> let let's let's go for the uh, Bruce Willis um, dissection because we've done Twelve Monkeys. Obviously, we did Sixteen Blocks a little while ago, and I feel like Bruce Willis always plays a little bit of like the same character in a way, but Corbin Dallas definitely moves a little differently. And it's not just because of his constant lack of sleeves and frosted tips. You know what I mean? (laughs) I didn't notice that he has never had sleeves on like one scene. (laughs) Yeah. So like, let's, let's, let's kind of dive deeper on the Bruce Willis performance of it, because I feel like Bruce Willis is a really subtle actor. He's definitely playing Bruce Willis in a lot of his movies, but it's the little Mm. stuff that adds on to it that makes it a memorable performance and not just Bruce Willis, um, phoning it in last week on the episode. I said, uh, honing it in. I meant phoning it in. Just wanted to correct that. Reiterate that for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Did not mean phoning. I, I meant did not mean honing. I meant phoning. Anyway, I I think um for this performance comparatively to all the other characters in the world, he isn't necessarily smarter, but he doesn't wait. He just goes for things. You know, everybody else. I I think most critics or people who've seen it would say that he's smarter, but I really don't think he is. I don't think he knows anything more than what's going on than anybody else does. I mean, his motivation is really just her, you know, it's not like he, he, it's not, it's not like, um, Obi-Wan came to him and explained to him the greater good of what was going on. He really just ended up following her because he fell in love with her at first sight. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think he pretty much did. And he didn't want to accept that. Yeah. He really didn't want to accept a new life. He sort of wanted to accept his poopy one. Because he just wants to move on from war, I guess, or something. I don't know. Although it would but, be kind of fire if you could just open up your back window and have the Chinese food come right to you. That'd be cool. That would be fire, right? Write that down. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think honestly, in a movie where not a people, not a lot of people want to like actually make movements or like you actually do things, he definitely has the most agency. One of the funniest things in the movie is that guy throwing him the the cue ball instead of like the gun. Oh, utterly, utterly hilarious! Like yeah. if you're not dying laughing at that scene, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Who hurt you? <laughs> you know, dude. To build off that too, um, something I wanted to mention earlier that I forgot about was how, um, how dense the world of the Fifth Element feels, dude. Again. They're not phoning it in on the sci-fi alien wacky world stuff, you know, like it's not the the classic feeling of like what an alien world would be like. One of my favorite parts 
was when the um, the general and I forget who the other person was go under the lights and their eyes turn green like they're some kind of reptile people and that's never even really established on that's not important in the plot at all but it's just put in there and like puts a lot of weight behind the world and everyone in it like we've been talking about how Bruce Willis's character interacts with it how Lilo's character interacts with it like it it feels so well crafted and dense and I feel like it's 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 almost like kind of, kind of like a, it feels like a Tolkien world, you know what I'm saying, dude? Like there's yeah. so much there's so much dense stuff going on there in this billion year old battle between good and evil. Like I just, I just love it, dude. Yeah, everything. This movie totally is one of those that just totally owns itself. None none of the scenes seem out of place. They all seem like they had to be made specifically for the movie just to work. And you know, I couldn't find out this for sure. Um, and I definitely know it's not like the first thing that's ever done it before in media, but I think as far as movies go, it might be that the first type of look at seeing like the flying cars like that. You think so? <laughs> like ha- ha- having them like being be in a city? Like, yeah, like they're in, they're on the road in the air. You know, they all have lanes in the air. I could be very incredibly wrong. But again, that's part of it that really just builds the world really well. Like, oh, this is how things go. I'm familiar with how roads work. There aren't any, but they're cars. I know how those work. Right, dude. Oh, dude, and he's just a taxi cab driver, just a lone taxi cab driver with his kitty. His poor little <laughs> kitty who he forgets to feed. Kitty. That's that was really funny, his quit smoking thing. They only gave him like four cigarettes a day. <laughs> only four. Yeah. They're four, you're quitting. <laughs> it's utterly hilarious. I mean, dude, it's just it's a it's a really awesome movie. And you know, even with the director saying up front that it's not really a movie where you're supposed to get too caught up in the theme of what's happening, again is awesome because even though you say that. It's not a movie like um, Escape from New York, for example. Phenomenal film, but a fun action movie. Fifth Element, phenomenal film, but just a fun sci-fi movie. And I really think that there's nothing else in the world like this movie, and I'm glad that the Fifth Element exists and shows that like you can create a crazy, rich, and dense world in two hours by just showing you something cool and i didn't look into it yeah. but i'm sure there's a ton of fan fiction on the fifth element universe and like all that good stuff yeah i, I wouldn't i wouldn't doubt that at all and it's kind of classified as like a cult classic but i just feel like it's hard to say that when you've got so many people that actually like it around the world like it's it's definitely a movie that people have heard of but a lot of people haven't sat down and watched the first 20 minutes of it which are very important <laughs> if you catch it on amc at 2 p.m and it started at one you're gonna have no idea what's going on chris tucker will probably make you laugh though he's a very funny guy <laughs> he is very funny in that movie he's so oh my god that, that like that character i don't think i've ever seen a character remotely like that just the way that it is involved in the plot like where it comes up or where he comes up and like how, how, it, he, how it progresses yeah, where he comes up, how he behaves, I don't think you get anything like that in any other movie. And at the time, whereas literally every movie was just like, yeah, just put Chris Tucker in it, you know? <laughs> it it really doesn't feel like that. It seems to make sense in the movie. 
No, it does, dude. It's It stays on top of itself so well. And, dude, there's so many characters. I feel like we didn't even do anyone justice in the past, like, 35 minutes. Like, we could have an entire episode just on, like, Gary Oldman and Zorg. You know what I mean, dude? Like, yeah. every character just feels so unique but so defined in the world, bro. It's just like, ah, so fire. So fire. Yeah, and it's such a goofy movie, but it's good, in my opinion, because they took it seriously doing yeah. it. They yeah. didn't half-ass anything. Yeah. It's a good movie. Good, good movie. And good. as far as as far as action movies go, the whole love plot to it is kind of the main point, right? Uh yeah, it's Bruce Willis's like entire motivation, like we said. Yeah. And like where else like in other action movies, I feel like that type of love plot seems very forced. Well, do you get what I mean? Or it's like, oh, by the end of the movie, they fell in love. Uh, well, dude, I feel like it's back to that the diversion of, of expectation thing, right? With with like the plot overall, where it doesn't feel like it was um, plug in, plug out for like the way the love story was going to go. Like Bruce Willis really does have to chase after her. And he even like leaves her alone for that first time. Um, mm-hmm. like, like the first time that he sees her. And stuff, dude. So, uh, yeah, no, again, I think it all it all just keeps playing back to, like, nothing in this movie feels like they didn't put too much thought into it. You know what I mean, dude? Like, it feels like it's so well-rounded in everything that was happening. And the action in it is awesome, too, dude. Like, the final shootouts in the theater against all the aliens and the part where Bruce Willis shoots the dude in in the head. He's got to kill the leader. That's all you got to do. Like, it's it's firing on all. All cylinders, my friend. All cylinders. Yeah, and what a great line that I bet has been quoted so many times. Does anybody else want to negotiate? Anybody else want to negotiate? <laughs> all right, all right. Oh my god. <sighs> top tier. Top tier. It does name drop itself a billion times in the movie. You got anything else to add? Closing closing it up. I think you did a good job already. Thank you. No, I um I feel like this was definitely a bit more of a scatterbrain review from us, but it's a scatterbrain movie and yeah. I honestly think anybody could find something they enjoy in it. Straight up. Yeah. Straight up. So uh Sump the Fifth Element, it's an incredibly unique sci-fi film, probably one of the most unique sci-fi films ever made, which is kind of hard to do in a genre about being unique. And it's just historically one of the most successful French movies ever. That's right. The French made it. Um, It was a huge global success on its release. The vast majority of its returns came outside of the U.S. Um, I think it more than tripled the budget expenses. Um, It's definitely an over-the-top movie, to say the least, but everything in the movie feels right at home. It's incredibly polarizing between audiences. especially here in the u.s it pretty much leaves people either loving it or hating it by the end of it so it's a title that definitely has merit on this show but more importantly it has merit for you to actually just go and see it because only you are going to know if you like this movie um and you could like totally disagree with us or totally agree and they're both going to be right yeah. Both opinions <clears throat> are very justified for this one. Um, I really don't think there's a lot more to say about it. It's just probably the most subjective movie. Probably in history. I feel like it, <laughs> there isn't that much. 
There isn't. I mean, what other movie splits people so down the line, you know? Uh, yeah, I feel that, dude. But to me, it's just weird that it even splits anybody because I really do feel like there's something for everybody to like about it. You know, dude? Yeah. Even you know? if you don't like action, it's still funny. The, yeah. the main plot is about love. You there's, know? there's no other movie like The Fifth Element in the entire world. So just enjoy it for what it is because there's nothing else like it. Yeah, the really the only thing I can suggest is for people just to go watch it and make up your own mind because that's kind of this one. That's what it's all about, boys all and about girls. It, baby, all about it. So uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Message us at Midnight Showing Podcast on Instagram or email Midnight Showing with Luke and Nash at gmail dot com to stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and offer suggestions for the movies we watch and future content we can bring to you. Be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions dot com. And next week's episode comes from a request on our Instagram page to do Mask of the Phantasm. So, you know, we want to give a big shout out there. We might see him on the next episode. Who knows? But uh, as always, remember that your donations keep the blue lights on. Multipass. 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 <laughs> <laughs>